Welcome to the Ari Zoldan Show, where you'll be able to sit in on conversations with leading CEOs, executives, and founders of some of the most innovative and cutting-edge companies of today. You'll learn about blockchain, cryptocurrency, clean tech, and other industries that are pioneering the new economy. Ari brings his years of experience as an on-air TV commentator to the mic for a packed dialogue of education, information, and in-depth interviews. It's all here, right now. Here's your host, Ari Zoldan. You are listening to The Ari Zoldan Show with your host, Ari Zoldan, on WOR 710, The Voice of New York. I'm really excited today to have an incredible, extraordinary, and very innovative guest today, John Strishauer from Kilos. John, thanks for being here. Ari, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So talk to us. I'm, I'm really excited to, to hear about Kilos. We'd love to hear about what the company is doing and, and the vision of the company. So we are building an ultra-fast EV charging network across the U.S. initially and beyond later, designed to really help the flood of new EVs that are going to be entering the market this year and beyond. Because the current charging infrastructure is inadequate to provide the level of experience that mainstream EV users are going to demand and, and expect. Excellent. And I know um, Toyota has got a, about a $70 billion investment in the EV space. What do, you, what do you make of that? Well, it's really interesting because Toyota, obviously one of the world's largest auto companies, uh, innovative in its own right, was one of the early players in hydrogen electric vehicles. They still have hydrogen electric vehicles that are being sold in California only because California is the only place that has hydrogen stations. And Toyota owns the best fuel cell technology, which is why they really wanted to stick with hydrogen. And there's some interesting aspects to that. They are really a holdout. They started with Prius, which was hybrid, and everybody knows what the Prius is. Basically, all the Ubers and Lyfts at the airport are Priuses. So they've done very well with the hybrid technology as well. And so they were actually a holdout on battery electric. And the market has now moved so fast that Toyota finally just said, we're tossing the towel in. We're going to go battery EV. And so now $35 billion for batteries and $35 billion, $70 billion in total committed to battery electric vehicles. So that to me was a pretty telling moment. And we started seeing Ford and GM saying 2030 and 2035, we're going to be all EV. We knew that these big legacy automakers had lots and lots of momentum with suppliers and with employees and plants and they were probably pretty nervous to say, well, we're just going to toss all that in and go EV now, especially in the face of a, a massive, very successful competitor in Tesla. And what's really happening in the market is that the economics of EV are becoming so strong for the consumer and for the automaker that automakers are realizing, hey, we, we have to move. And so I've always known since we started seeing 2030 and 2035 and 2050 and these kind of far out targets that this was going to come in. And as it starts coming in, it's going to come in faster. So we're now looking at huge investments being announced like that. And what, what makes you an expert in this space, John? What's your background? My background is in computer science, electrical engineering, network engineering, serial entrepreneur for 35 years in different industry segments. I've built a lot of things that are techie-oriented and businesses that are techie-oriented businesses. I've been a Tesla driver for nine years, almost 10 years. I'm on my third one. I had a very early serial number Model S, which I paid $5,000 and waited a year and a half to get. 
then I had a Model X and now a Model Y. I've got a couple of Cybertrucks on order. I've been an EV user myself for basically a decade, and I've traveled 10% of the U.S. interstate system myself, personally, looking at charging infrastructure. And so I have a pretty good sense of what actually is out there and what the experience really looks like. And as an early stage adopter geek, I can tell you, Tesla has done an amazing job with the supercharger network, but it's now dated. It's 10 years old. And the reality is that we are now moving to uh, larger capacity batteries and we're moving to the demand for faster charging. And while that supercharger network is probably the secret sauce or one of the things that was part of the secret sauce that made Tesla successful and changed the global auto industry, it too is going to be reshaped here over the coming years and it will be upgraded in some capacity. So Tesla will probably ditch its proprietary plug in favor of the North American standard, which is for DC fast charging along the interstates. My expertise is really, this is a nascent field, believe it or not. It's really a nascent field. There's lots of activity and concepts of things that are going to happen. But the reason why there's an opportunity and why the federal government is, is putting $7.5 billion behind trying to get people to put in charging infrastructure is because it's nascent and there's not enough of it there. And what is there, unfortunately, is largely underpowered and not upgradable and not the right experience. So a lot of what's already out there is really not very useful and will probably be uh, replaced. There's a lot of things going on. So really, my expertise is engineer and 10-year user of the infrastructure myself. Great. And what does the, the Kilos ecosystem look like, and, and how does it play in the overall grid? So that's a great question. We've really studied this, and, and my expertise is part of this, but we have a team and some pretty talented people on our team. And so cumulatively, we have quite a bit of expertise, actually. We started looking at this from the EV user experience perspective. And like I said, as an early geek adopter myself, Tesla's network was good in a lot of ways. It was, it's reliable. It's where you need it to be for the most part. You can drive across this country with a Tesla and you will not, you will make it wherever you're going, you will make it. Now you can't take unplanned side trips off to a mine in Nevada and think that you're going to not brick your Tesla and have to have it towed because you will. There are limitations on that. It's not, it's not taking your Yukon somewhere where you don't really think about that because there's 115,000 gas stations. So we started looking at it from the perspective of the EV user and said, okay, what do you need to have? So first and foremost, they have to be everywhere you need them. There, so there needs to be a lot more just to start with. Secondly, they have to be reliable. And this is a big problem, especially with the non-Tesla charging apparatus that's out there. There's horror stories on social media already about the non-Tesla branded EV owners that are out there trying to make trips and realizing, geez, what a mess this is. And even if they are working, the experience is still rugged. It's not like the Tesla experience you plug in and start charging or the vertically integrated sort of experience you get with Apple products, as an example. That's the kind of experience that consumers are really going to need and demand and there's technology that supports all of that happening, which we are employing in ours. So our technology stack starts with the realization that to put in a charge station somewhere, the way that it is typically being done by big players today involves 10 or 20 charging posts. And those posts are in turn connected to a cabinet full of power electronics that in turn are connected to a transformer and or a substation 
which in turn is connected to a high voltage AC line on the grid. And so to make the typical kind of infrastructure work, you need all that stuff. And the transformer and the substation are potentially millions of dollars of upgrades that a local utility company has to put in. And that takes a long time for permitting and entitlement and just for them to get their own capitalization put together. And it's not an economic model that works for the utility either. That's an, that's a whole nother problem that we've uncovered as we've looked into this whole thing. Is One big problem is that we've got a grid that's already overtaxed and has become less reliable in the last 20 years. That's just factual data. It's less reliable today than it was 20 years ago. And we're putting more demands on that same grid. To remove 70% of fossil fuel that is being used to power um, vehicles on the interstates in this country and to make that electric, that simply means that we're going to expect our grid to do three times what it does today. So it doesn't take a genius to figure out that's probably not going to work real well without massive investment and decades to accomplish it. So herein lies one of the major problems is that when you expect our fleet to grow beyond 1% of EV, what you're going to find out very quickly is we're going to have charging problems because the grid can't support that. And it was never designed to support that. No one ever knew that we would be driving around 100 kilowatt hour batteries. That's 20 times the power that a house uses. It's just, it's crazy amounts of power that we're trying to dump in 10 or 15 minutes into a battery. It's just not something the grid was ever designed to do. So we looked at that and we said, okay, how can we, how can we build a system that is fast to deploy, that's economically feasible, that provides the user experience that they expect and want, and that doesn't kill the grid? And, and in fact, it would be wonderful if we could find a way to do that and actually enhance the grid at the same time. And that's what we've designed. So we start with a battery storage system, an energy storage system. And we have technology in our battery packs that is non-conventional too, because we looked at lithium ion and we said, okay, lithium ion is a great energy a storage source for a vehicle because it's got high energy to weight ratio. So it works well for cars. It's actually a pretty poor solution for energy storage, for grid energy storage, or for renewable energy storage. Yet, because of the bulk of manufacturing for the EV market, many automakers are starting to build batteries that they're ostensibly going to use for energy storage systems for grid and for you know commercial and industrial users but in fact it's turning out that because of nickel jumping 100% yesterday and because of lithium jumping 500% in 2021 it's pretty obvious that those high value lithium ion batteries are going to go into EVs. They're not going to go into energy storage systems. And in fact, Tesla, the leader in all of this stuff, is no longer making the batteries that go into its own energy storage products because they can't, it doesn't economically make sense. They've got to keep their batteries for the EVs. They can't produce enough EVs. Their, their EV demand is already higher. They're production constrained as it is. So there's zero chance that they're going to take their battery output and go throw it in a storage somewhere that's less valuable. It just doesn't make economic sense. And so as we see the, the EV market expanding, what we're going to see is that there's 130 models of EVs coming to the U.S. market this year and next year. So a lot of EVs coming. And there's going to be, fortunately, I'm, I'm delighted to see that there's a lot of EVs coming. But it also means that we need lots of lithium-ion batteries to go into cars. And we don't want to be squandering that 
for storage. This is a whole nother part of the problem that people really don't understand. And so we work to address that with a different kind of a battery chemistry in our storage systems that to metal oxide battery chemistry that does not use lithium. It does not use cobalt. It does not use nickel. And so these things that are in high demand and that are volatile minerals and making batteries don't affect us. And I'm also proud to say that our technology is 100% American made and 100% recycled and recyclable. So we have literally 100%. And so this is all part of the echo story that we wanted to bring to what we're doing. And so we've been very thoughtful from the beginning of this on how to build a system. So it's a long-winded answer to your question, but we start with this eco-friendly battery system that stores energy. It also is designed to use a relatively available connection to the grid, which is available at most truck stops and major venues, most commercial buildings. I would argue that your office building, if you're in an office anymore, most likely has a kind of connect that we could connect one of our systems to without having to do any transformer or substation upgrades. So the utilities are delighted with that idea. And then because of the fact that it's an energy storage system, it actually also provides backup power in the case of situations like we had in Texas here not very long ago. If these were all across Texas, this would actually help the grid because it's a big battery sitting there that can be deployed to provide power. And this actually enhances the grid resiliency and reliability and there's all kinds of technical details around frequency and voltage and other stuff that we don't need to get into right now, but it actually can enhance the grid. And then on top of that, we said, okay, look, when you go to a charging station today, uh, you will find that you plug in, you're the only one there and things are going great. Your charge is going fast. And then somebody else pulls up next to you and takes the plug next to you and plugs in. And all of a sudden now you both see your charge times double. And as more people get to the station, everybody's charge times go up because you're sharing the one plug to the grid. And so that, that affects everybody. Our design is a design that is battery backed. And so we have dedicated power at each one of the four plugs on our container system. And so each place that we go with this, we're essentially designing from the ground up, not the ground down. So this is not underground infrastructure. This is above ground infrastructure that is manufactured offsite. It's in a container, which we all know how to transport easily. So we can move the container where it needs to go, set it up, and it's ready to go. And it's much faster, much less entitlement headache, much less grid impact to, to connect it. And then it helps the grid. And so that's a description of what we're building. Excellent. And if you're joining now, this is Ari Zoldan, host of the Ari Zoldan Show on WOR710 and iHeartRadio, sitting with John Strissauer, CEO of Kilos, talking electric vehicles. Absolutely fascinating. Talk to me, John, about the next 18 months, the roadmap for Kilos. What does that look like? We are working on our prototype product right now, which is called, internally, we call it a Kilopod which is, it's a container with batteries, as I described before, it's got four ultra fast charge plugs on it. Each one is starts at 360 kilowatts, which is beyond what you find anywhere across the country today. And that's a starting point. We intend to eventually scale to megawatt and a half charging, which is where we believe this will actually cap out, level out. We'll, when we start seeing uh, class eight, big trucks, heavy trucks on the interstates carrying freight, they're going to need megawatt charging. And so we intend to be able to power that as well as part of our network. 
So we're actually looking into the future of that and wireless charging as well. But over the next 18 months, we will complete our alpha product and put it into beta service. And next year, early next year, we intend to roll out the first 10 commercially available units in the wild. And uh, it's going to be an amazing amount of fun. This is really about taking a company out of stealth and into really into the first commercial phases. Our team is gelling. We've got, you know, amazing people coming on board. Just incredible talent is joining. And obviously it's a white hot space. What we think is going to happen right now is what our plan is, but that plan is obviously subject to change. It's a white hot space. There's lots of people with sincere interest in, in making a difference here. And so it'll be interesting for us to see how it unfolds as well. Incredible. If you're tuning in now, this is the Ari Zoldan Show with your host, Ari Zoldan, W-O-R-7-10, having a fascinating conversation with John Strishauer, CEO of Kilos, talking about electric vehicles, charging, what the future looks like, and one of my favorite topics, Tesla. John, get, getting back to Tesla, is there any stopping, is there any, anything stopping the company? That's a great question. Depends who you ask. Obviously, I'm a Tesla fanboy. I've had three of them. I've got a couple more on order. I'm an EV fanboy, frankly. I'm interested in all kinds of EVs. I've got a Lucid and a Rivian on order as well. And our company is actually going to be acquiring lots of different EVs for internal testing. We also are putting our money where our mouth is. And all of our staff will be driving EVs that the company is going to provide because we think it's important from an education standpoint. Tesla is a very interesting company. You probably know that in 2012, when they came out with the Model S, Elon actually offered free use of their IP stack because he was trying to see that we would all move in the direction of EV. And there were many naysayers at that time, of course, that said, yeah, right, this is, this is not going to happen. Obviously, it has happened. And I was kind of surprised and interested to hear Elon in 21 saying, it's interesting when you look at the auto industry, here we are nine years later, and there still isn't a vehicle in the marketplace that competes with the 2012 Model S and the IP was free. So, you know, it's kind of interesting just to see how the industry has really not paid much attention to this until very recently. And now I think they're all realizing, yeah, we got to get serious about this. And so we're starting to see real sincerity. I think what will stop Tesla, if they keep going the way they're going, I don't think anything's going to stop them. I think they've got the right thought process. I think they're very focused on what needs to be done and are doing the right things. I'm really interested to see where full self-driving goes. I've been one of those people that has been contributing to that now for 10 years, and it's pricey. And I've watched it evolve from its nascent stages to pretty interesting, pretty capable full self-driving capability today, but it'll be really interesting to see where that goes over the next few years. My belief is that the AI, the artificial intelligence that's embedded in that whole system is such that in the next few years, we actually will see self-driving Teslas that are safer than human driving. And I know people are probably going to say, yeah, right on that as well, but I think that's really true. I think that's going to happen. And John, what's a typical range today of a Tesla? So if you go with the higher end versions of the 3XYS, any of them, you can get to about 300 miles of pretty legitimate range. And if you're a lead foot carrying a lot of weight in inclement weather, it's going to be maybe less than that. But if you're you know, reasonable, you can actually expect to get 300 miles of range. If you plunk down for the really pricey plaid Model S, 
that just came out, you can get to 400 miles of range. And, you know, if you think about Lucid, Lucid just came out with the Motor Trend Car of the Year with a 520 mile EPA range, which is phenomenal. And the CEO of Lucid actually is one of the key designers, developers of the Model S at Tesla 10 years ago and has really done an amazing job with building Lucid. And I'm delighted to see that the Lucid vehicle has that kind of range because I expect that range for EVs is going to get to about 600 miles. And then that will level out because after that, you really don't need more range than that. You get 600 miles of range, then you've got range confidence, you've got spontaneity, you've got all the things that you expect in your ICE vehicle today. And the next frontier is going to be, okay, we got the range. Now, how do we charge them fast? And that's the problem that we're really solving for today, because we know that's coming. That's the next differentiator that everybody's going to care about is how fast does it charge? And John, as, as an entrepreneur, especially in this in this space, which I suspect is going to get crowded, what are what are some of the things that that keep you up at night? Lots of things keep me up at night, but it's mostly excitement. This is a really exciting, dynamic field. There's just incredible opportunity. And it's kind of weird when you think back in 2007, which is 15 years ago, the iPhone came out. Now, just think about that for a second. How here we are today, everybody has one of those or an Android virtually around the world in 15 years. Teslas have been out for 10 years. The next five years of EV, that whole industry is a changed place and it's very dynamic. It's going to change all kinds of things. I'm excited about EV tools, which are electric vertical takeoff and landing craft. They're like, they're like electric helicopters, if you will, based on drones and their battery or maybe uh, some other form of, of zero emission propulsion. For These things are, are really going to happen. I know we've all heard about this for decades. Yeah, this is going to happen and it never does, but this actually really is going to happen. There's a number of big companies that have significant investments in these things. They're in various stages of certification with the FAA. Marine is going to electric. And when you start thinking about electrification, it is massive, it is global, and all of it needs fast charging. So part of this is just thinking ahead. Where does it need to go? I think the opportunity is so vast that I liken it to what it must have been like 100 years ago when, when there was some small group of people sitting around a big conference table somewhere saying, yeah, okay, so this car thing looks like it's going to go. Maybe we should start thinking about gas stations and building oil companies. hundred years ago, we were building autos and oil companies. Guess what? Now we're, we're changing this hundred years later. So now it's back to electric. We're the first cars, ironically. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing, John, you mentioned, you mentioned boating a couple of months ago. I was on a, I was on a boat. It was elect, the motor was an electric power. It was electrically powered by a company called Vision Marine Technology and didn't make a sense. I mean, it was clean, silent, definitely didn't remind me of the motors from five, 10, 15 years ago where you couldn't hear yourself talk. So Interesting you say that the marine space, I think, is ready to explode as well, which is exciting. Regarding Kilos, who are some of your competitors? There are probably 10 pretty good-sized companies. I think five of them are public. Those are companies like Electrify America, which is a Volkswagen unit that was formed out of the consent decree from the Dieselgate thing. There was EVgo, which basically came out of the... Jeez, I'm forgetting the name of the company. There was a... 
an energy company, Enron, out of the Enron debacle that basically spun out EVgo came out of that. There is a company called Green Lots that is primarily oriented around fleets that was acquired by Shell. There is a company called Volta that is, I think they're publicly traded now through a SPAC deal. And Volta is focused on advertising supported charging primarily at malls. So you will go and see these pretty nice looking boards that are big screens that basically they want to capture your attention in exchange for providing a charge for you. And I think that's an interesting model in a mall environment, but it's low power charging. It's not something that really provides a lot of miles. Um, So it's a completely different business model, but it's part of the ecosystem. And of course, there's Tesla. And there's ChargePoint, which has actually got the largest number of connections around the world. They are mostly what are known as level two. Level two is the kind of charging that would happen in your garage. When you buy an EV, you probably will have an electrician come in. If you have a garage, we'll probably have an electrician come in and wire in a a EV charger for you, which is on a circuit that's similar to what's on your dryer or an electric range. It's a 220, 240 volt AC circuit that then goes to this kind of a charger for your car. And it will be the highest energy demand device in your home, probably forever. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely amazing. If you're joining now, this is the Ari Zoldan Show with Ari Zoldan on WOR710, sitting with John Strishauer, the CEO of Kilos. We're talking electric vehicles, charging, uh, and the the entire ecosystem and where where the industry is headed, which is quite fascinating. Talk to me about the some of the economics of the business. As a user pulling up to the charging station, is there a charge, is there a cost, and what does that look like? Yes, there is a charge. Obviously, putting this infrastructure in is not cheap. So whether you're putting in posts like Electrify America or Tesla are doing, you can kind of think of these DC fast charging posts just to give you a kind of a rule of thumb. Each post is about 100,000 bucks. And our equivalent um, is, is probably more than that because we are actually an energy storage back solution. So our initial outlay for each post is actually even higher than that, but it does have a lot of advantages that make it over the longer term economically more feasible. So the economics from the consumer perspective first is EV is a great deal, okay? You buy an EV, in the early days, the only knock I had on Tesla was economically didn't make sense because they're very expensive, but that's all changing. And of course, with volume and with other players coming into the market, EV is becoming cost competitive with ICE vehicles. And as that happens, the economics are greatly in favor for the consumer. The reason for that is that the the joke with Tesla owners is there's six things that go wrong, four tires and two wiper blades. And I think that's really true because when you think about it, it's a battery, it's a motor, Right. And the battery is warranted for 10 years and like 150,000 miles or crazy mileage. They, they actually have million mile batteries now. So batteries, are they're very reliable. And so the bottom line of all that is that the service side of an EV for the consumer is fabulous, very reliable. When you charge an EV at home, a full charge will cost you maybe five bucks, 10 bucks, depending upon how far down you were and what your rate is and what time of charge you, you charge it. If you're in the Pacific Northwest where you have hydropower, it might be less per kilowatt hour than if you're maybe in Texas in the winter 
or New York or somewhere else where power may be more expensive. So the, the cost every night of charging is a little bit different from place to place. But when you compare, especially with the gas prices where they are going today, if you compare it, if you will, at a public charging station, might be 20 bucks or 30 bucks compared to what, 80, 100 bucks now for gas. So the economics for the consumer are very good. The economics for the charge point operator, which is technically what we are and what our company will be, and the others we mentioned earlier, charge point operators, the economics for all of us in the industry are huge capital investment to put this stuff out. And like most capital investments, the economics are strictly determined by this is one of the problems. Timing is everything, right, in entrepreneurial ventures. And so those that are too early put the wrong equipment out there and they have idle equipment. Many of you have probably seen charging stations and said to yourself, that's great, there's no one there. So that means when I get one, there'll be plenty of space available. But what you probably don't know is that they're in the wrong place. They're the wrong kind of charger. They may have a plug that won't fit your car because they were built before there was really standards. They may have the right kind of plug, but the wrong kind of software or the wrong kind of charging system or transaction system. So you may find that even though there's a bunch of idle plugs out there, that doesn't mean that we just got no problem. There's plenty of plugs. There aren't. And so those early investments in capital equipment are basically stranded, obsoleted assets. So for them, bad deal. So timing is very important. And that's one of the things I'm most excited about. The timing now is unmistakable. We have the federal government putting $7.5 billion behind this over the next five years. We have standards that have finally emerged. We have something called plug and charge, which is a software protocol, hardware protocol that when you plug your car into the charger, they recognize each other. They do a little software handshake and everybody says, okay, good, let's let the juice flow. And it starts charging the car. Tesla has implemented a proprietary version of plug and charge over years. And that's why it always worked well. So first big installations were of plug and charge for Tesla, proprietary. And there are technologies that, that are making all of this work. The timing is right. 130 models coming in the U.S. market over the next two years. Um, so that's really what the economics is about. It's about financing big capital. And we have a secret weapon there too, which I'll tell you about at a later time, but we have some ideas <laughs> around how to solve that problem as well. I'm going to push you on that, John, when you're back as a, <laughs> as a follow-on as a follow-on guest. I'm making a All note right. of that. If you're joining right now, having a, a very engaging and interesting and definitely informative conversation with John Strissauer, CEO of Kilos. John, it, it was very interesting. President Biden, a couple of minutes into the State of the Union, he and I know I, I quickly ran to my phone and I sent you a quick note that he mentioned charging stations. How important is it that Washington gets behind the evolution of charging and electric vehicles? Well, I think it's critically important because the government has puts its thumb on the scale and, and it changes everything. And this is something that needs to be changed. It does require legislation, a carrot and stick to make this happen. And it really does need to happen. And once people actually start driving EV and they think back and realize I'm, I'm in this position now. So when I think back, I don't really miss going to gas stations. And I definitely like silent and the idea that I'm not polluting everywhere I go feels a lot better. So it needs to happen. It's going to happen. I think it is really important. We actually got a letter that was sent to Pete Buttigieg from 15 automakers 
And the 15 automakers actually implored Buttigieg to put in ultra fast charging on the interstate freeway system, because without that, it's very hard for them to make and sell cars, EVs, to consumers, because they're going to say, I'm not going to buy a car, I can't go anywhere. And so this is a critically important thing to solve. But as we just discussed a minute ago, it's capital intensive. And if you want some of this big infrastructure to happen, you need to put some muscle behind making it happen. I think that one of the real reckonings that's coming is that, as I said near the top of the hour, uh, the grid isn't going to support this. And that's the next big thing that's going to really start shaking out here. As we get to 10, 20% of the fleet being electric, we're going to really start understanding lots of things are going to change. One of the things will change is the peak energy demand time will go from 6 or 7 p.m. to 2 a.m. when everyone's charging their electric vehicles. There's a lot of stuff that's going to change, and it's fascinating, and it's all exciting. Yeah. Coming back to Washington, John, is this a a bipartisan conversation? Good question. And without getting too in the weeds on that, I think to some degree it is. And I think that there's obviously differences of opinion on what's important to do in the two camps. I think that Everybody agrees to some level that fighting wars around the world over oil is something whose day really has to be numbered. And so I think that is bipartisan. I think the idea of energy independence is bipartisan. I don't think the two parties see necessarily the best way to get there. So some degree, yes, some degree, no. And let's talk, John, about quickly our hours is, is winding up. Talk about the, the international aspirations of, of Kilos and what does that look like? Well, everything that we're building is standards-based and it's a manufactured product, can be shipped easily anywhere. We know that we have an enormous problem to try to help solve in the U.S. market. We think that we are a small fraction of the solution. We don't think we're solving the entire U.S. problem by any means. We think we are a good player in this market and we are leading the path of how to do this correctly. We think that everybody will have some version of what we are doing. This is the way it needs to be done. We think that everybody will do some version of this into the future. We have a fair bit of IP around this, which is international IP. So we think we'll at the very least be a licensing company. Certainly we'll be involved with helping other countries get up to speed with this because it's critically important. So We're focused on the U.S. market today, North America, and the rest of the world certainly is in the future. And talk to me about about the team behind Kilos. If you could give me a a quick overview, obviously, um, like any startup, you've got the product service and you've got the people behind it that's actually that's going to execute and make it happen. If you could shed some light on that. Sure. Yeah, we have a, a small dynamic team that's growing very rapidly. We just brought in a new CTO that's got many years of experience starting in Rolls-Royce with turbine engineering, and it's got years of experience in batteries and battery technology and owns a patent portfolio that has now been licensed by our company. And that's a big part of the whole battery part of the story. We have people in our company that have taken companies public multiple times. They're startup experts. We have somebody who's been in in venture capital for 20 years and has run small venture funds and has been in the private equity market, run an aerospace manufacturing company. We have somebody who's an expert in leasing and and mixed use real estate where 
we see in the future that will be a very important aspect for locating charging locations and dealing with people in that. So it's really, it's an amazing team. We've got a lot of people that are planning to come on board as we mature and raise more capital and build the company. And it's going to be a, a really dynamic, fun time. Great. And final question, John, what's the appetite today for, for Wall Street as it relates to the EV space? And what are some of the challenges that Wall Street may face in the next 18 to 24 months? That's always a, a very difficult question to answer the second part. Anything can happen. We're watching stuff happening in Ukraine. It's anybody's guess where that goes. If that actually gets into China backing uh, Ukraine, sorry, backing Russia against Ukraine, if that happens, that, that could be really scary. We could see some huge headwinds as a result of that. I think that there are minerals issues. There are resource issues that can affect this. Certainly, we certainly are seeing inflation happening and nowhere more so than in the energy area with oil hitting 130 bucks a barrel here recently. So there's a lot of things that can create headwinds, but this is a white hot space. It's a space that has seen massive investment. And I think that is going to accelerate, if anything. It's literally several of the largest global industries between energy and transportation, just massive industries, automotive, just huge industries that are all converging and changing at the same time. So it's very disruptive and lots of opportunity. And it's why it's a white hot space. I, I think that we're going to see huge investments happen. Obviously, there'll be winners and losers. Are we on first, but where are we in the cycle or in the trajectory? Are, are we even at first base? If you look at economic theory and you think of the S-curves, I think we're at the first knee of the bend here. So I think we are just at the point where we're going to start seeing very rapid acceleration. We're five years into what's probably a 15-year curve. Ten years from now, we are probably largely EV. We've probably largely figured out all of this charging stuff. And we are probably on to the final frontier of this, which is figuring out how to make all of this renewable. And that is really our end game, too, is making all of this renewable energy powered. Step one, get all the EVs on the road replacing ice. And the second step is making sure that all the energy that goes into those vehicles is renewable energy. Amazing. John, if anyone's going to pull this off, it's it's going to be you. I have, uh, I have no doubt about that. If you are tuned in to this segment, this is Ari Zoldin, host of the Ari Zoldin Show, WOR710. We spent the past hour with John Strissauer, CEO of Kilos. You could find our... You know, you'll find us in every podcast place you could imagine, Spotify, Google, Apple, and it's been a real pleasure, John. I, I appreciate it. Just you provided our guests with an enormous amount of information and I wish you best of luck. Thank you, Ari. I really appreciate it. It was great to be with you. Thank you.